Thanks so much, Shireen, for leading us in prayer. Uh, I just have a few announcements I want to share with you this morning before we do get to the, the sermon. The first is that today is our last day, Sunday, with two services. Next Sunday, we come back and we are one service again through the summer. So if you come at 9 o'clock next week, you will be very on time. Uh, but if you come at 11, you're going to miss the fun. So set your clocks, uh, put a reminder in your calendar if you need to. Next week, we're back at 10 o'clock. You don't want to miss next week because we have baptisms. Simon, how many baptisms do we have? Do you know? Four, five, six? Let's go with somewhere in there, right? Good. Yep. Um, we are. We're celebrating baptisms together as one, uh, one church community. So definitely come join us in that. Uh, you won't want to miss it, hearing those testimonies. Second is, uh, so moving on to some staff, staff things. Of course, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Scott shared that he was going to candidate at a church in Ladysmith. And so we are uh, able to share, as we did an email this week, that the invitation to come and be their lead pastor was extended, and he has accepted. And so we um, celebrate that for him. We also grieve the loss. And I was, I think I said this to somebody a few months ago, I wish in the New Testament, when it talks about the church and the believers going out to all these places, it doesn't talk really about what kind of relational grief might have been there when people moved on. I imagine it must have been there, but they celebrated too, knowing that God has put their feet on a path as they have for Scott and Raina, and they, um, ha that God has a plan for them in this new church. So um, Scott's last day in the office is going to be July 14th, the last Friday of kids camp. They're going to have a few weeks of vacation, and then they will start at their new church in mid-August. So we will um, figure out what his last Sunday here is going to be, and we'll make sure that we honor them and pray for them in the service. And one last staff thing as... As one goes, it seems one arrives. And so we are also really excited to announce that we have hired a director of worship. Uh, you may know her very well. Her name is Megan Searle. I'm going to ask Megan just to stand in case you don't know who Megan is. We are very excited for that. Megan is going to officially start uh, July 2nd, although she has been um, leading the charge here kind of with the team since Andrew stepped back for quite a few months. Um, but she will officially join the staff July 2nd, and we're really, really looking forward to that, knowing that she has a lot of gifts in worship and uh, has been this, doing this for quite some time. And so, yes, we're thrilled to have her join the team. Those are, I think, all my announcements. So I just want to invite you now, to, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to 1 John. Uh, and I'm going to read 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6, before Simon comes to preach. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. And uh, I want to say a huge congratulations to Corrine and Dave Fast, who are with us this morning, who had their little baby on Thursday evening, Isabel Mary Fast, and uh, she was nine pounds, I think, on Thursday night. So let's give them a round of applause, just quietly, because the baby's here. So, yeah, little quiet. We don't want to wake the baby. So that's great news, right? So congratulations, wherever they are. So lovely. Um, but we, as people, we like to believe everything they were told, don't we? I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm gullible. I'll believe anything that anybody tells me. And so um, there's some urban myths that I've always held on to in my life. Like, um, for example, you know, you can't swim after you eat food. You know, otherwise you're going to drown somewhere. Um, apparently that's not true. Um, there are other urban myths that I've always believed in my life that um, I just apparently aren't true. For example, my wife and I, we got married in Spain and in, in Europe, I don't know if it's the same here, you throw rice at people when they leave the church. Do you do that here? No? You throw rice. In England, in Europe, you throw rice at people. I don't know why you do that, but it hurts a lot when you throw like raw rice and it gets in your eye. Look at them. Ah! It's like the worst way to leave a church, but you throw rice. Now, um, it's been banned, apparently, throwing rice because apparently for the last 40, 50 years, um, birds would eat the rice and the rice would apparently swell up in their stomachs and explode. Now, I've never seen an exploded bird in my life, um, but uh, apparently it's true when it was banned and you're not allowed to throw rice in the streets anymore. Um, it's not true. It's not true. Uh, ornithologist Stephen Sibley says it's okay to throw rice. Don't worry, the bird isn't going to explode. And so that's an urban legend that we uh, have believed in Europe. Uh, the other one, a coin. If you throw a coin off a tall building, it will kill somebody. Um, have you heard that before? It's not true. It's not true. The terminal velocity of a coin can't reach have enough speed to actually kill somebody. It'll hurt a lot, you know, like, but it wouldn't kill anybody. Not true. Or goldfish. A goldfish has seven-second memory. Anyone heard of that? Okay. Not true. Apparently, um, I don't know how they know this, but scientists have asked the fish and they've got uh, three months. They have a memory of three months. So I just washed that one out of the water there. When I was a, a young boy at school, uh, we would, you know, when you're starting to shave, uh, we would all shave uh, our beards every day because we wanted a, a thick growth. Uh, you know, big sideburns and, or, or goatee or whatever. And if you shaved, your beard grew thicker. Has anybody heard of that? Teenage boy? Yes, okay. All the men are nodding their heads, you know. It's not true, you know. We, we believe all of these things because somewhat somebody t told us, oh, it must be true, and off you go. And we believe there's so many things 
that we uh, have heard. I'm sure there's other things in your life that you've been told that you believe. But what about church? What teachings have we heard in church or in our Christian lives that we believe? And there are a variety of teachings today about a whole host of things that probably aren't true about God, perhaps, and his will. Or some people teach that Jesus was a created God, not the eternal God. Some people teach a whole variety of things on the Holy Spirit. Um, for example, the Holy Spirit is not a person, but just a force of God's activity. And there are, I say, a variety of teachings on the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that it's not necessary to be baptized. Or we, there's different views on divorce and remarriage. Or even there are different views on the authority of Scripture and its sufficiency. How do we know what is true? When we first started the series, we had two stones, stone of love and a stone of truth. Now we've looked, John's looked uh, in 1 John uh, a lot about the stone of love, how it's important that we love each other, how it's important that if we walk in God, if we walk in light, then we will love one another, right? We've, we've covered that a lot. But this morning in John's passage, John's wanting us to look at the other stone, truth. How do we have love, but how do we also maintain a degree of truth in our Christian lives? C.S. Lewis said this. C.S. Lewis is a, a, a theologian, a Christian author. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It's either infinitely important or not important at all. I believe Christianity is true. And so it is infinitely important that we get it right, that we dedicate our lives to making sure that we live by truth. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I think the church is at a watershed moment to hold on to biblical truth or follow the teachings of the world around us. Which one is it? You can't do both. Our culture is pulling away from biblical uh, truth, from the biblical worldview. And the pressure to change our biblical doctrines is upon the church worldwide. So how do we know what is true? How do we know what is right? How are we to know what is truth? And the Christians in John's day were facing the same challenges. Who is Christ? Is Christ fully God? Is he fully human? He, he can't possibly be fully human because they believed that the flesh was, was evil. The world was evil. How can a holy God also be human? And so there was these wrong and, uh, teachings going on at that time about sin and the soul. And some Christians were leaving the faith. They were questioning the faith. And so John has to address it and say, do you know what? We need to maintain biblical truth, stay to the truth. And so that's what the passage is this morning. So you've got your Bibles. Let's turn to 1 John 4. Thank you, Alana, for reading it. Verse 1, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And my first point is this, that we have to be a witness of words. 
John's first command is that you can't believe or accept every person who claims to have a word or a spirit from God. There are some people say, you know, yes, saith the Lord. I believe God has told me something. God has given me a word. Well, I believe the, spirit, uh, the Bible is the authority of God. And we see this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. So if somebody comes along to me and says, I believe God is saying something, well, I wonder, is that the same authority as scripture itself? We have to be careful if someone comes along and says, I believe God says. God says this or God says that. Because are we, say, are we saying it's the same authority as the Bible? But the question, we've got to test what we believe God is saying to us. And at the time of John, people were claiming to have the Holy Spirit, claiming to have godly wisdom or the gift of prophecy. And John is saying, even though people may claim to have the Spirit of God, the Christians needed, we've got to test these words. We've got to test what people are saying from God. We have to test that what they're saying is from, um, is from God, the authority of God. And the reason for testing is stated in verse 1, that there are many false prophets and they've gone out into the world. And they were teaching some things which probably weren't true from Scripture or from what was taught from the apostles. And John is saying, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Which means that we shouldn't believe everything we hear just because somebody says that it is true. The Bible actually tells us that we should expect false teaching. Matthew 7, 15 says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You see, they look genuine. They look like the genuine article. They're wearing sheep's clothes. They look like one of us. But if they didn't look genuine, then nobody would be deceived. So we have to be on the lookout for false teaching. Uh, 2 Peter 2 verse 1, but there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. The Bible says we should expect false teachings. So we have to be on guard. We have to be ready to anticipate these false teachings. So how do we guard against false teaching? You see, false teachings have endless permutations, new age teaching, cults, heresies, liberal theology. And we could spend all of our lives trying to find false teaching and looking into it. So my suggestion is don't. My suggestion is be rooted in the true teaching, which is the word of God. So when false teaching does come along, we can tell if it's true or not. So be grounded in the word of God. The truth only has one form. Get to know Jesus and then you'll be able to spot the errors. I have books in my shelf in my office who, which I don't think I fully believe in. Or, you know, there's some pretty 
teach some teaching I don't agree with, perhaps. And there are some preachers. Listen, we don't get it right every time. You know, we're, we're in a very vulnerable place when we're in the pulpit and everyone's listening to the teacher. Uh, we don't always get it right. And so we, even as teachers, have to be approached and said, you know, I don't think you got it right. And oh, okay, yeah, well, thank you very much. I'll go away and we have to be tested. We have to be careful what we are saying. Oh, it's so easy to follow teachers who are charismatic. And you think, oh, I, I, I love listening to them. And we get carried away because they're charismatic and we lose the actual content of what they're saying and don't test what they're saying. John Stott, another English theologian, says, unbelief can be as much a mark of spiritual maturity as belief. In other words, Christians must resist the temptation to be naive and gullible. It's okay to actually not believe something that you're taught. It's a sign of maturity. And John goes on and says in verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is ready, already in the world. So how do we test the spirits? How do we test what is right and what is genuine? Well, whatever we hear, whatever we read, there are some tests that John is telling us in the Bible. First of all, does it match with the Bible? Does it match up? Well, that requires us to read the Bible, right? How do we know? If we don't read the Bible, how are we to test what is true or not? When we listen to a teacher do or read something, it's the commitment that they have to the body of the believers. It says in 1 John 2 verse 19 that some of, us, some of them have gone out from the believers. Does their, does their lifestyle match up with what they're teaching? Are they, do they have a degree of integrity? Are they living out what they're teaching and they're believing? And is the fruit of their ministry evident? Is God working in and through them? You will know them by their fruit. What is truth? Or should I say, who is truth? John 14 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the truth. That's what John is saying. You, you will know the true teachers when they preach Christ. When they really preach Christ. The um, New American Standard Bible says this. I like this version of Scripture. It says, now, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. My Bible says every spirit that acknowledges Christ. I like that word, confess. What does it mean to confess something? The word confess could be defined as this, profession of faith in and allegiance to. So this is not just simply a, a merely a confession of um, propositions about a person, but the confession of a person, the confession of Christ as Lord. A true teacher in Christianity of the, of the word of God will continue to preach Jesus Christ in all things. He's fully God and he's fully man. 
He's a historical figure that came, lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and lives in us today. As he says in verse 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the world. Someone who has, is, a, is a true teacher will preach that Christ lives within us and is the empowering us and continues to empower us going forward. You see, Gnosticism, which was one of the things that the early church was trying to combat, had a distorted view of Jesus Christ. There's a... John Cleese, has anybody heard of John Cleese and uh, Monty Python? The Monty Python team got together. Now, a lot of Christians don't like Monty Python, right? So I, if you say, I don't know what Monty Python is, then I, I believe you because you're a mature bunch of Christians. But there's a, there's a team, uh, Monty Python, John Cleese, and they were writing a movie, um, and they were going to look at the life of Jesus Christ. And so the team got together. And they got the, the Gospels, and they said, we're going to read the, so they read the Gospels. They went to a hotel, and they sat down, and they were reading the, the Gospels together. And they were going to make fun of Jesus, right? And they couldn't. And John Cleese says this. He says, the moment you got really near to the figure of Christ, it just wasn't really funny because Christ was wise and flexible and intelligent and he didn't have any of those things that comedy is about. Envy, greed, malice, avarice, lust, stupidity. You see, John Cleese, he wasn't a Christian, could still recognize who Jesus Christ was. So how much more should a teacher of the word of God recognize Christ in our lives, in all things, to preach Christ? Christ crucified and risen again. And that's what we want to be rooted in, in all things. That's what John's saying. Keep preaching Christ. Keep teaching Jesus Christ. Keep preaching that Christ can change lives, that Christ can break chains, that Scripture is written to and for Christ. John is saying that we need to make sure that we are rooted in the Hebrew Bible and rooted in Christ. The problem was at that time, the world around them was influencing their thinking. They were more influenced by Greek philosophy than the Hebrew Bible. And I think we see that today. There's a lot of movements that are more influenced by Greek philosophy than the Hebrew Bible. For example, we see this influenced in the church today even. A negative attitude of sex or work or the body is influenced by the, the Greek philosophy that the, the world and the body is evil. And so you get monasticism, uh, the, the monastic tradition of celibacy of priests, all go back to Greek philosophy and not the actual Bible. John is saying, follow those who preach and teach Jesus Christ. I mean, really preach it. And you can't go wrong. So what do I mean by preaching Christ? Well, the identity of Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a wonderful prophet. He's not a great angel. He's not a God. Jesus Christ is God. He's the God. He is God. The Son came in the flesh. 
We need to preach the work of Jesus Christ. Salvation through the cross alone. It says in 1 John 5, 20, he says, this is at the very end. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know who, we, who is true. And we are in him who is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. What Jesus came to do on the cross is the only way anyone would get into heaven we need forgiveness. We are sinners. If you preach less than Scripture, you, you kind of remove that we are sinners and we need Christ in our lives. Keep preaching Christ, crucified. Jesus is not a way to God. He's the only way to God. So the greatest question anybody can ever ask, in my opinion, is who is Jesus Christ? And then we need to keep good teacher will, will preach the authority of Jesus and the infallibility of the Bible. What Jesus says goes. We don't pick and choose what the Bible teaches. We have to follow what the Bible teaches. We have to understand how to approach Scripture, how to interpret Scripture. We have to get deep into Scripture, read the Bible, and get tools to keep reading the Bible. He describes the Scriptures as the Word of God, Jesus Christ does. He tells us to submit to them. He tells us not to change them. To deny something in the Bible is to deny Jesus Christ. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. Distorting the real identity of Jesus remains a basic way people attempt to destroy Christianity. And so it's important that we understand these three pillars when we are looking at teaching and following teaching. And so, looking at the third one, the authority of Christ, let me encourage you, keep leaning into Scripture. You see, why is, why is the Bible important? The thing is, we, nobody disagrees that the Bible is important, right? Does anybody disagree? I, I, just put your hand in the air, I, I don't mind. Okay, nobody, Right? <laughs> Because if you put your hand in there, everybody will look at you. You know that moment. We all agree the Bible's important. And yet, why is it so hard to read the jolly thing? We find it so hard. We find it so complicated. We find it so boring. Perhaps we're looking at it through the wrong lens. Perhaps we don't understand why God, God has given us his inspired word in our lives to direct us, to guide us. If, we, if Christians read the Bible more and followed the Bible more and is obedient to the word of God more, the world would be a different place. Lean into scripture. Why? Because all scripture points to Jesus. Luke 24, 27, Jesus is walking down the road to Emmaus. There's two disciples all disarmed. And he opens up scripture and it says that from the prophets, well, let me get it, let me quote it exactly. Luke 24, Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Christ, goes, it would have been the greatest sermon ever told. Christ is going from Genesis to Revelation and he's just unpacking how all of scripture applies to himself. All scripture points to Jesus Christ. The second thing 
um, which is amazing in, in and of itself, right? You see, only God could have put the Bible together. The Bible contains 66 books written over 1,600 years on three different continents. And yet it all comes together to explain the big meta-narrative of God, the redemptive plan of God to bring humanity back to himself. Only God could have shaped and created this book. And what is encouraging is that I am not the main character in my own life. Jesus Christ is the main character in my life. So I don't have to worry about my life so much if I put my trust in Jesus. The second reason why we should lean into Scripture is because Jesus trusted the Bible. And so can we. Matthew 5.18, Jesus trusted the Bible and every word in it. In Luke 11.28, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus doesn't want us to just read the Bible. He wants us to obey the Bible. My third point about leading in the Scripture, the Bible has survived and always will survive. Matthew 24, 35. Matthew 24, 35. Write these down. Go away home if you want to uh, cross-reference them. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Bible is one of the most criticized and despised books. And yet it is the most read, the most published, the most translated book in the world. And it is the book that will change more lives than any other book. Only the word of God will last because it is truth is eternal. Voltaire, a famous French philosopher, and he, he was a brilliant atheist. He wrote a number of tracts deriding the Bible and he made once a bold statement saying that 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Here it is. And we're preaching from it. We will pass away. This church building made of, well, it's not even bricks and mortar. It's made of what? Wooden nails will pass away before the word of God will ever pass away. The Bible is there to help us grow. James 1, 18 encourages us that the Bible is there for us to grow. Moody once said, uh, a theologian, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Go back to 2 Timothy 3, 17. All scripture is breathed out of by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, what does complete mean? Complete comes from a Greek word, artios, which means fit, complete, capable, adequate. The Bible is there so that we may be adequately prepared for life and equipped. What does equipped mean? Again, the Greek word for that is exotio, and it means it's if you were going to go on a long journey. It's as if you were, this is the context of that word, equipped. You were um, equipping a wagon for a long journey. You're going to go on a long journey. What do you need? You need a spare tire. You need to get your food. You need to get your water. You need to get all your equipment, your tent, some warm clothes. You are prepared. You are equipped. 
the Bible is there so that we may be complete, adequately prepared, and we may be equipped, you know, for a long journey. What a great analogy that is. The Bible is there so that we may be sufficiently equipped and prepared for the long journey of being Christians. This is the authority. This is the word. This is the power of the Bible today. And it prepares us for false teaching. It prepares us for the world around us. It prepares us so that we can continue to grow as Christians in society today. So how do I grow if the Bible is all of these things? How do I establish healthy patterns of reading it? Well, Rick Warren says there are three Ds. We need to make a decision to read it. We need to say, do you know what? I'm going to read the, the Bible. That's the first step. The second D is declaration. I'm going to tell people around me, my friends, my family, my spouse, my kids, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Keep me accountable. The third D is determination. We actually put practice into our lives. We just do it. And the fourth D is double up. Find somebody else that you can read the Bible with, that you can ask questions with. I have someone in this church who I read, Ralph, and I, we uh, challenge each other. We encourage each other to keep reading the Bible. And <clears throat> if we have questions, we ask each other. Read the Bible and confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what John is saying. Lean into Scripture. Stay grounded. And then he says, this is the application. You will be noticed in the world around you. Verse 4, dear children, are you from God? And overcome um, dear, you, dear children, are from God and overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. John is teaching that Christians who faithfully teach God's word will not be popular in the world today. Ask any eighth grade child in school, in high school, who professes to be a Christian, how easy they find it in school today. And I'm sure they'll say they find it pretty tough. But John is saying, when we follow Christ, when we lean into Scripture, we will stand out around us. John is saying the world is watching. There will always be that battle between godliness and worldliness. There'll always be that struggle within us, that pull of the world and of God. And if we are of God, then we will naturally find ourselves at home among people of God. We won't drift around unable to settle in a church. We'll just find new life is my family. I love it here. I love coming to work. I love coming to church on a Sunday. Uh, you know, just you, as, as a Christian, to being around other Christians, it's just my heart rejoices. And I'm able to plant my roots deep and I'm able to flourish when you are able to find a home amongst other Christians. John is telling us, as Christians, we love being around other Christians versus the world around us. There's, um, 
a story of a dad and he wants to take his kids to a theme park and he, he hears that if he takes his, um, if your child is under five, five and under, you get half price tickets. So he says to his seven-year-old son, um, listen, we're going to go to the ticket booth. Tell the man at the ticket booth that you're five. And he says to the son, obediently to his father, okay, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell the guy. So they pull up to the ticket booth and the, he says, how many have you got? And he says, this, this is how many people I've got there. And my five-year-old son uh, can go in half price. And the man looks at the boy suspiciously, doesn't believe the boy. And he says, he peers over the counter and says, um, how old are you, son? And he says, I'm, I'm five years old. And the man says to the boy, do you know what happens to little boys who lie? And the boy turns around and says, yes, they get in half price. <laughs> you see, it's so easy just to go and do what other people are doing, right? The father heard that the son could get in half price and thought, if it worked for somebody else, it can work for me. As Christians, though, are we following the patterns of the world or are we following the patterns of Scripture? What is shaping us, the world around us or Jesus Christ and his word? Are we a thermostat or a thermometer? The false teachers John is talking about and the misunderstanding of Jesus has been shaped not by the Bible, but by worldly thinking. John is saying, are we from the world or are we from God? I'm enthusiastic about the word of God, not because of preachers or good sermons, but because of the author. And so, my encouragement today, my encouragement from what John is teaching us here this morning is this, keep leaning into scripture, keep loving Jesus, make sure that we maintain Christ alone and scripture alone. And John is saying that we will find that good balance between love and truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your word in our lives to keep us grounded. Lord, the, the world is, is a changing place all of the time and not just in our lifetime, but in John's lifetime as well. These last 2,000 years, the world has changed considerably and the world doesn't always believe what Christianity teaches. This is not a new thing. And we thank you that the Bible continues to encourage us the Bible continues to point towards Jesus. The Bible is there in our lives, Lord. Thank you for that as a way of grounding us and guiding us. And I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ <clears throat> may continue to encourage each other to keep going in the way of the Lord, that we may continue to build one another up. We may continue to love each other and that we may continue to just be stable in Christ, Christ alone, and in Scripture alone. Continue to fill us, Lord, I pray in your spirit. We love you so much, Lord. May we continue to be faithful and a blessing to you in all that we do. We pray these things in your special name. Amen.